Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This week's episode of Screen Talk is sponsored by HBO Max presenting Hacks. Nominated for 15 Emmys, including Outstanding Comedy Series and Outstanding Lead Actress in a Comedy Series for Gene Smart. Check it out. It's a lot of fun. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly movie podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the executive editor, joined as always by Ann Thompson, our editor-at-large. Although when I say as always, of course, we have to acknowledge that I was on vacation last week. You had our pal Tom Brueggemann on to talk about box office stuff. And then I was going to have a guest this week, but you decided to stick around. So great to have you, Ann. I'm so glad that we can do this before Telluride. (laughs) Now is not the time to go away. <laughs> I've got a screening re- queue a mile long in my in my inbox, and I've got uh, screenings to actually go to out, out in the real world. Uh, quite a few. And, Vacation and, uh, is important, but it is it is good that I'll you had that eureka moment. Later, <laughs> yeah, I'll take, I'll take. No, they, they had timed our our time off in, in front of going back to the office and postponed going back to the office. So yeah, like many time. people. Like many people. So in, in spite of all that, we are certainly out in the world. We're going to screenings. We're seeing stuff. We can't talk about all the stuff we're seeing yet, but next week we're going to be in Telluride. So this is sort of the, the big buildup to that is everybody figuring out, well, what can we see in advance? What are we going to see on the ground? So that much at least feels familiar. Is that hustle? It'll yeah. be fascinating to see what it's like on the ground at Telluride. Obviously, since our initial conversation about safety protocol, it's evolved. We're going to be doing the testing thing just like can. We're old pros, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> They'll have a site and uh, wearing masks and all that stuff. But we'll be in Telluride watching movies, which is super exciting. And I'm, I'm really happy that's happening. No, I'm so. really looking forward to it. And, you know, outdoor venues and so on. But um, the, the thing I will say, you and I are already juggling this. Uh, there are a lot of people going to Telluride, or Telluride a lot of talent. And it, it, usually you do run around... Uh, a bit um, hustling interviews on the fly because everybody doesn't know the schedule ahead of time. And the publicists are tearing their hair out because they literally (laughs) don't know when their films are going to show. And we, you know, I'm used to it. I just, I just run and gun and, and, you know, show up where I can to do my interviews, but there's going to be more of them this year. Yeah. Telluride trolls all of us in the sense that it's it's like, even as we know certain things based on what we know, you, you can't know everything and you can't know exactly how that weekend's going to come together until the last minute. And so we're all kind of in it together with PR people saying, we think you can maybe do this or that. And I think it's going to be fascinating for the, for the celebrities who are going as well, because obviously for a lot of them, that kind of up close kind of hustle of, of doing a bunch of interviews and stuff. They haven't had to do that in a while. This is not, this is not a bunch of zooms. You're going to be walking around this mountain town, taking the gondolas and watching movies. So I heard and, people say they don't want to take the gondolas. My attitude is wow, it's if too much time. Mask, otherwise. If you've yeah. got a mask, you know, you know, that's going to, and we're getting tested be enough, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's all about mitigating risk. There's risk in a lot of different ways here, but this is about mitigating risk. So before we get deeper into that, though, we should talk about the other news cycle this week, which was 
CinemaCon, uh, which even though we didn't have people on the ground, did happen at Caesars Palace per usual. And we followed from afar. You you tuned in for the big conversation with uh, the uh, the NATO folks who basically said day and date is a terrible idea and end of discussion. So well, nothing you know, new there. <laughs> you know, I, I, I really did tune in. Actually, there was a great podcast that the, the guys from box office did, uh, Daniel Luria, um, our old intern. That's right. He's really good. Gone a long and, way. And he and uh, the editor, uh, executive editor of Box Office, um, did did do a, a daily podcast running down absolutely everything. And I did tune in, uh, thanks to our friend Sperling Reich. Uh, I, I tuned into the our old uh, roommate. Yeah. He, <laughs> what a he network recorded we recorded the uh, the the roundtable for me, and I got all the good scoop there. And and there were some great panels that I actually got recordings of as well. So basically, the takeaway is that the industry survived. Uh, yes, the studios leaned into uh, streaming, but the bad news, what you were referring to with day and date, the reason that they're so upset about day and date and the studios are going to listen to this too, it, it's hurting them as well. There was, a, there was an example of um, some several examples of movies that actually had real percentages of how many people it, what it was was something that um, uh, a woman with an enormous following in Mexico on uh, Twitter or social media, some some following or other, had uh, did a poll, and so all these people told the tr you know presumably told the truth about where they saw a particular movie, mm -hmm. and the percentages of where they saw them in theaters, whether they saw them online, most of them saw them from piracy. No shocker there. If you make so, big movies available that way, people are going to do what they do. That's so the they get content. pristine copies instantly now. If yeah. it goes out day and date, and it's really like thousands of them go out. So, so this 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 is also bad for the streamers. This is bad for everybody. So, I think there's going to be um, a reckoning uh, that might bring uh, exclusives. Uh, back uh, for I think the forty five days is going to be yeah because they did they did get piracy under control. This is an industry that was very responsive. Whatever it was, decade fifteen years ago. Under control is a question, but this well, isn't more good. than now. I mean, this isn't good. Yeah, yeah. So that was one of them. Uh, one of the things I took away. The other is that uh, while we were hearing sort of dire predictions of how many theaters would go out of business uh, during the pandemic, at the end of the pandemic, it turned out to be a thousand theaters out of forty-three thousand, leaving forty-two thousand. Now that doesn't mean there couldn't be more attrition down the line. But thanks to the government, thanks to uh, people, furloughed people and, and people laid off and all sorts of other help that came from the gov government um, and a lot of lobbying uh, to keep uh, support for the, for the mom and pop theaters especially, they survived. And a lot of the art houses survived. So it's really not as bad as everybody thought. I think the art house survival is the one factor that should be the least surprising from my, in my perspective, because as I said, I think relatively early on in all this, they're the ones that at least a lot of them are scrappy. Their margins are different. You know, they, they celebrate, I've seen celebrations at art house convergence of being in the black by, you know, a hundred thousand dollars or whatever. And, uh, I think what's, what's sort of heartening about that is that, you know, hopefully that kind of nimbleness is 
truly what makes exhibition an exciting space in the first place is people who can try things outside the box and well, they've been doing that forever actually brought uh, art houses and nonprofits into its tent and so uh right before the pandemic and they were able to uh get support uh, which was really helpful for them. Uh, so I, I mean, I didn't know uh, that that there was so much support going to the art houses, and I'm glad to hear it. Um, the adult uh, market, though, of for for um, sophisticated specialty fare has not come back yet, Eric. I mean, they need movies. They need people to show up for them to stay in business. Well, so we're we looking at a promising fall. fall. Yeah, uh, we have to see how that goes because yes. you know maybe the Roadrunner movie did okay, or uh, but something like Summer of Soul was a bit of a disappointment, um, and there were others that were expected to do better than they did. Stillwater think, did okay. Yeah, did our, I mean, and that's you could argue that. I mean, is that a specialty release really? I mean, it was. Uh, it fairly was, big high, well, high profile they're all movie. doing they're all doing wide releases now part of yeah. what has to happen it's, it's relative is that the platforms have to come back you know the, the old yeah. models need to return in terms of long-running uh theater uh art houses so bottom line i mean this is a moving target and as we go into the fall season and see a whole bunch of movies what's going to be fascinating to talk about is are these movies going to be facing the same kind of marketplace challenge that say a Stillwater or Summer of Soul did in recent months, or is it going to be different? Are people, you know, getting their booster shots in September and feeling better about going to movies and with all this buzz around a handful of strong titles from the fall festival circuit, going to actually feel like, Hey, maybe now is the time that I can do something I didn't feel like doing over the summer. The other thing I learned, video. which I found fascinating, um, again, from Alejandro Ramirez of uh, Cinepolis, he's the, chief of this the very vibrant um global theater chain based in mexico um he really laid out the the numbers if you are in a movie theater looking forward silent with a mask on um you know not moving around in a big theater with circulating air you're safer than just about any other out of the home destination if you're sitting around a table with people talking to them in a restaurant they're throwing they're, viral droplets church, at you <laughs> if you're in a synagogue if you're singing if you're at a sports event and you're yelling you know all of the, the exactly what all those particles are 50, you know 90 times what it would be uh, in a movie theater if you're at a sporting event I'm going to a baseball game on Monday. Maybe I've been to a Yankees consider. game. I went to a, to a Mets Yankee game. game I uh, I went to Wilco uh, a week ago and kept your Forest mask Hills. on, or were you outdoors? It was outside of Forest hockey. Hills. In fact, it was the night before our supposed hurricane that didn't really happen here in New York, and uh, we got rained on. So it was a great show in the rain, as you can imagine. It was like very surreal just to be there. But uh, having all those experiences, and then also having done a big media event like Can, I mean you know that there's it's possible to do this stuff and uh, recognize that there there's risk around you, but you've mitigated it because thankfully you're vaccinated and holy crap, get your ass vaccinated if you're not. But like places in New York, I mean, to go to dinner in New York now, you have to show your uh, proof of vaccination. So indoors. Indoors, yeah. Well, even just I to dine there. dinner yeah. indoors. Well, even just to dine there, you have to, you have to show a lot of places now. Um, include a place I went and where I dined outside last night. I had to, I had to do that. So it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's evolving here. I don't think, well, it's, I think everyone's kind of sorting out the rules in their own kind of way, but it's not a bad idea to do that. 
because even outside you can get wind up in congregate settings. So absolutely. Uh, so absolutely. we'll see how all that. Uh, the evolves. question is how they message it, really, because yep. I, mean, I, I don't think most people recognize this. I don't think this is a message they've gotten out that it's really safe. Well, one bad. step at a time. We'll just have to keep talking about it on Screen Talk, and and uh, oh yeah, that's going to have a huge it'll impact. Have a huge. All, all moviegoers will be like, well, if Eric and Ann can do it, then uh, certainly. So we've we've been seeing a lot of movies. And though uh, we can't talk about all of them, I can mention two interviews that I did this past week for films that are upcoming because, you know, obviously I saw them. I did these interviews, uh, wouldn't do the interview without seeing it. Um, and I can tell you a bit about those, uh, both of which are obviously making the rounds at festivals. One is Paolo Sorrentino's new film, The Hand of God, which is a Netflix title. It's uh it's uh and it's a likely italian italian submission. oscar submission given that the moretti didn't do well at Cannes. yeah so i think this film is going to really get people talking not necessarily in the way that a lot of his work does i mean obviously the new pope the young pope on hbo that was like a big thing but the story if you're a if you're a cinephile and you you've been aware of paulo sorrentino as a filmmaker in the past you know he won the oscar for for the great beauty obviously uh, I think you'll find what's quite striking about this is that it's his personal story and it's it's very well made, but it takes his style, which can, tends to be very Fellini-esque, a lot of, you know, fa you know, lavish surfaces, and it directs it towards this more intimate story, which is that when he was a teenager, both of his parents died of carbon monoxide poisoning while he was at a soccer game seeing oh, Diego Maradona. Horrible. So Diego Maradona, obviously the hand of God, that's a reference to, to, to you know, what he referred to as when he scored a goal. So uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a shocking story, obviously, but it's really about when that happened, what happened next, and his path to filmmaking as a result of that. Uh, so it's it's really remarkable. It's a little in the bit sense like the Pedro Almodovar. Yeah, Pedro, or even you could say something like Roma, Roma in the sense it's 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 a filmmaker of a certain stature finally realizing that they have the skill set and the confidence to tell that personal story. And so you see the the piece I wrote, basically, that's what he's talking about. He turned 50 last year during the pandemic, and he felt like at this turning point in his life, he was ready to do this. And they shot it during the pandemic. It was the first time a lot of these people were outside in Italy after the first lockdown. So it's got this really specific kind of component to it. And I'm just curious to see how people respond to it because it, it is a small, intimate movie. It's certainly by his standards, but uh, Netflix is putting resources into it. So I think it will, will get some attention. Uh, the other film I, I, I did an interview for was The Card Counter, which is a new film from Paul Schrader, his first since first reformed. Now, you know, Paul, obviously someone that we know well, a, a fascinating character, uh, you know, at 75, still making movies within an inch of his life. We had a the, fun dinner. But when we, I we have had some, some fun times with him. And, uh, and this movie with Oscar Isaac as a gambler, and um, he's basically this Abu Ghraib vet, trying to stop a kid played by Tay Sheridan from uh, committing a violent act um, is in some ways so consistent with what Schrader does and has done ever since his script for Taxi Driver, which is double down on these sort of guilt-stricken or lonely men who feel like somehow the system has abandoned them and they have to take justice into their hands. And obviously it goes awry in all kinds of different ways, but uh, you know, I don't expect it necessarily to make the same kind of noise as first reformed in the sense that you had in that movie, 
one an Ethan Hawke performance that was like one of the great things he's done, but also uh, it was a it was a really wild film. I think this is a more contained drama, but it's is got it more this more of a genre film though. I wouldn't put it in that category necessarily. I, the, the thing about Schrader as a, as a writer and a storyteller is that there's a lot of misdirection. You think you know what this movie is and it'll take you in some other directions. Uh, it's good. And so you've got a great Oscar Isaac performance. That's a no brainer. You've also got Tiffany Haddish as this woman who kind of becomes his, his poker agent in a way doing something dramatic, which is, is fascinating. And, and there's a how great interview with her in the times. Well, she's, she's quite good I, in the time. She talks about how Schrader kind of had to talk her out of comedic sing song and you could see it in the movie. It's like, you recognize it's Tiffany Haddish, but if you close your eyes and listen, you wouldn't necessarily realize it's Tiffany Haddish, which I think is, is kind of fascinating. And, um, and the, the I'm wondering movie, if contained Tiffany Haddish is good Tiffany Haddish. Well, remember that that Paul Thomas Anderson really wanted to work with her, and there, there, she has done some dramatic stuff that hasn't really resonated more more broadly. But by and large, you know, she she's somebody who is leaning hard into her comedic persona and all the stuff she does, including that Netflix series that she hosts, which I really enjoy. But um, but it's nice to see her try something different and come out on the other side in good shape. So I think this will be a, a good sort of test for, for certain audiences. It's focus features, you know, they're putting it out before New York film festival. So it's not the kind of thing that's going to continue to drive buzz throughout the season. And, uh, but it is a, a mature to our drama. Uh, so it's for a certain audience that wants I that look experience. Forward. I look yeah. forward. I've seen a ton of things I'm not allowed to talk about. So, <laughs> yeah, so. Uh, well, next uh, week will be much man, more robust. Yeah. You're carrying you're carrying the uh, the launch stories for these films, which I love to do because I mean honestly, it's like you know after a while, a lot of the talent gets sick of telling the same no, story it's so over and fun over. Fun to again. do to be at the beginning, no yeah. question. This is what I love about interviewing people at Telluride. Yeah, you help them work through it in a way because yeah, nobody exactly. really knows how to message fresh. what they created. Exactly. exactly. So so that'll be fun as we keep doing that. I remember and, uh, doing the very first Danny Boyle interview for Slumdog Millionaire. Oh at, wow! At Telluride, or the very first Jason Reitman interview for. Uh, you know, up in the air, you know, it was, it, hmm. that's, that's, that's really fun because they haven't talked about it before. Right. Yeah. No, it's, it's fun and it's meaningful because, you know, they're trying to be careful about it. Whereas when you talk to somebody further down the line, you can probably Google certain things they're saying and find. I often find, do. Yeah, I find out like, what I yeah. don't have to use. <laughs> I, I get in the habit of interrupting people and being like, yeah, I saw that you said that to five other people, <laughs> but what I'm really asking is this. So pro tip. But uh, but yeah, you did talk to Sean and Dylan Penn, uh, which goes back to something we were talking about earlier, which is how movies are performing. Flag Day was obviously not a big theatrical hit, but I thought no, you did a good combo. I saw it combo. again, and I would never have predicted that it would do well theatrically. Um, I hope it does better at home. Um, the story actually got read, so maybe there is some interest in, in it at home. But he um, really uh, was reluctant to uh make this movie with but, but he wanted to help her he wanted to direct his daughter and finally matt damon sort of yelled at him and said what what are you you know i think casey affleck was supposed to do it and dropped out and he was turning to matt damon like a month before the movie was start, supposed to start filming and Damon said, what are you thinking? This is an opportunity for you to act opposite your yeah. daughter. Go for Embrace it, dude. It. Yeah. You know, don't, don't, you know, he yelled at him. And finally, Sean gave, you know, went for it. And what is best in the movie, uh, which is, um, uh, has not gotten good reviews, and I absolutely understand why, um, 
it it really is the best stuff is between the father and the daughter. They're really like electric together. I liked, you liked a lot it more of, than I did. Actually. I liked a lot about them. I was surprised. But well, look, I I think it's unfair. I mean, Sean Penn faced an unfair narrative at Cannes this year, which was that, oh, his last movie was a huge embarrassment, which is the last face. Yeah, that movie was terrible. And then they didn't even have a finished version when they went there. But remember, you know, he's made that good movies. That is the rule that all filmmakers should remember to follow. <laughs> Do yeah. not show a work in progress. Get that shit done or like more or yeah. less done. There are a whole but, lot of examples of people who've done that and come out on the wrong side. And let's remember, so a lot of people are are, are fans of Into the Wild. That movie has gained more fans Very with time. Good film. And, and I think His best. this movie in certain ways has Indian a certain Indian Runner kinship. was good too. But I think this movie has a certain kinship with Into the Wild in the sense that Dylan Penn's character, and her performance is outstanding, but Dylan Penn's character, the kind of journey that she goes on to try to cut herself loose from the specter of you know, her upbringing, which was sort of, you know, let her down in a lot of ways, right? Let's her down. Yeah. And she goes on the road and you get these, these musical montages and so forth of her kind of journeying to find her sense of self. Based on a memoir. Yeah. And and exactly. And like into the wild, which, which was too, uh, it was based on a true story as well. Nonfiction book. Yeah. Yeah. So the, I think there is a a kinship thematically there that I thought was striking and, and, and very well done in certain key moments. It's worth seeing it. And man, like when I was watching her, I was thinking, you know, I don't know exactly. I, I, I can't relate to what it's like to grow up in an actor household, but, and I'm sure it's daunting in certain ways, but she does really convey a kind of talent. That's not just like, Oh, she's just, you know, doing her dad's thing. I mean, she's a very, I loved, I loved the story that she told that where she said that she spoke to her mother, Robin Wright, obviously a a major actor as well, who, um, who basically said that working with Sean Penn uh, as an actor was one of the most extraordinary things she'd ever experienced. (laughs) So, so so the daughter basically said, if, if my mother can do it, (laughs) I might as well give it a go. Yeah. It's like, don't forget, like, yeah, he's your dad, but he's also a good actor so and he's got a lot of stories so embrace and that and then move on and work with other people so yeah you know yeah. i look forward to seeing her in other things so in the meantime we're looking ahead to a bunch of other stuff uh we talked about telluride there's also toronto sadly we won't be physically present that's also true for a lot of people a lot and- of people have made the same decision and it's interesting i made the assumption that the digital version of toronto the virtual version was going to be the hybrid options available to me would be equivalent to the ones that were available last year i made that assumption foolishly i think because <laughs> well, but on the other hand you and i are fortunate we have relationships with distributors and publicists who will make these films available to us but they are not necessarily being made available to the press i think what's fascinating here and i, I brought this up before is that it's it's clearly not Toronto just saying we will not be super yeah, accessible. A lot it, of people are accusing Toronto of. Yeah, no, that's that wrong. Call. They don't that's know what they're talking it. about. It's, the it's very obvious. It's distributors, you know, they they want a certain kind of exclusivity and and making or things available. They want the movie to play in theaters, and they don't want. Uh, yeah. I mean, but they're going to show it to us in screening rooms anyway. So it's it's a silly thing to me. Well, but also there there's there's a whole complex universe out there of the the logic of uh virtual screenings right like there's a certain number of screenings you you can allow on a platform or that you choose to allow so it's you end up right. getting into this weird kind of game where it's like so you're it's gonna let sign. 20 people screen in yes. or 30 50 and the the, the thing that's a chat that's unfortunate is that uh 
you know, the, the most valuable thing about PNIs at a festival like Toronto is that it's like a fire hose, right? You can have a whole bunch of audience from, for, including members of the press from big publications, small publications, all watch this movie at once. And then you just get a ton of reactions to it. And now it's going to be a lot Yeah. For example, uh, right after Joker uh, won at Venice, right? There was a screening, a PNI screening uh, in Toronto where it was one of the big rooms. And it was packed with everyone from Melodargus to, to every little tiny art house distributor to every member of the fan press. It was everybody and their mother that was at that festival crammed in that room mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. checking out Joker. Uh, and, and it was fantastic. It was one of the great screenings. Yeah. So we'll, it'll be, I mean, they will have screenings of major movies. I'm Dune will have its IMAX screening and so forth. So we'll see some of that kind of response. It's just not going to be quite the same sort of robust thing. Having said that, I mean, I think if I wasn't acknowledging that I'm not going to be on the ground in Toronto on this podcast, that people might see my coverage and think that I'm there and the same for I'm you. I'm doing a so lot of coverage. We'll be Absolutely. all over it. And, and, and then I expect I'm going to go will. to New York. I am going to go <laughs> Very to happy New to have York, you there. So I will see you there. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a, a wild couple of weeks, no matter what. I mean, we're, Are we we're, doing we're just... a, a live uh, podcast? Well, we could just do it in my house or something if you want and see who shows up. But I don't know if I want to give out my address here. So, but we're talking about it. We're, we're trying to figure out some things. So hopefully that, hopefully that does happen. But, uh, but next week is going to be wild because we'll be on the ground in the mountains of Colorado and uh, hopefully gasping for air in a way that allows us to adjust quickly enough because we're going to have so much that we have to do there. Well, we and, may not uh, be spending as much time late night uh, <laughs> imbibing in bars. It, this this isn't going to happen. Is that a bad thing, though? I haven't. It, the jury's still out on that one. <laughs> we we can do virtual shots can, from our hotel. I guess room. you can go to the Sheridan, put on your mask, order a drink at the bar, and go drink Step it outside. outside. Yeah, exactly. I bet that's the new what ritual. they do. That's going to happen. If they don't do it, we'll get it going, and then it'll have to be a new ritual from then on. Everyone has to drink in the streets to tell you right to keep the uh, the memory alive. But but in any case, Anne, safe travels. I have to go a little bit further than you to get out there, but I'm looking forward to uh, being on the ground and once again seeing you on per- in person, which is uh, the way it has it's to be. Fine. So All right. see you soon. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.